hey, this is cool. This is going to be a big hit. I would be like the singer at a jazz club next to the piano. That was the first time that I was like, wow, I can do it. He's so emotional and so raw and so real with how he delivers his music. 13-year-old me, rock and rolling. I came out of the session and went, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the sound. She was so real. When she'd be rapping and singing, it felt like he was kind of at the church again. Hello and welcome to What Did I Say, where Atlantic Records talks with artists about songs they made, songs they like, and songs they'd like to have made. It's an inside look into the craft of songs from the artists themselves. The daughter of a background singer and a session guitarist, Savannah Conley started making music as soon as she started talking. She began recording songs at the age of seven, wrote her first song at 11, and released her first full-length album by her 16th birthday. Savannah's latest EP, 2020, was released on Elektra Records in March of 2018. We caught up with her while she was on tour supporting Brent Cobb across the USA. You grew up in a musical household. That's awesome. I did. With a singer, background singer in a comp studio and touring guitarist. You mentioned that your house was genreless. Yes. Meaning that you had every possible record? <laughs> yes. My my parents um, kept everything in stock at all times. Um, my mom is a pretty, like, you know, pop-heavy um, fan, but she loves, like, soul. She loves... She loves just about everything. My dad is more of the... He's the musicologist more so than my mom. So he, like introduced me to new bands and would you know but honestly there was there was every genre in my house present at all times my dad um me nashville's a predominantly country band or country town so he played a lot of country growing up but that was he was definitely not limited to that at all um was there anything that you wanted to like as a kid you want to rebel and like listen to other things or were you enjoying that there was so much variety <laughs> was there like a record that um i think we'll see the bummer part was that my parents got everything <laughs> so like there wasn't anything you were like I, a radio station you got yeah so like like i well they they like understood everything so like if I wanted to rebel and like a band that like my parents didn't understand or whatever, I couldn't do that because if they were good, then they'd they be like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> like, no, you're supposed to say it's garbage. This is, <laughs> you know, like this is what I want from me right yeah. now. But I remember I like the Rack and Tours, that Jack White project. Um, I loved them. I loved them. And I like played it for my dad, like thinking like, ooh, he's not going to like this. And he was like, this is innovative. I was like, damn it. See, you're no. trying to find something they're not gonna <laughs> yeah. like. Didn't and work. Didn't work. Didn't work. Um, yeah, that was. I think Nashville, like Jack White and uh, Kings of Leon, and all of them, people moving to Nashville, claiming Nashville as their home, but playing indie rock. That was big for me in the in the genre world. I mean, that's it's crazy there's so many friends i've had that are moving there and every time i go back there's more traffic there's yes. more buildings i've never <laughs> you know never seen before oh yeah what was that like growing up and kind of seeing that happen well um i mean it was weird uh i definitely you know i remember like there's an area called the gulch mm -hmm. in nashville and i remember when that was a, a lot wasn't anything um in high school like when i first started driving east nashville now is like the hit you know, community, um, and I wasn't allowed to go there until I had moved out of my parents' house. So, like, there was 
yeah you didn't you didn't go to east nashville as much as i mean you barely went like five years ago now it's totally fine you can go there all the way you want but it's mainly like i i have a lot of native friends that are bitter about the influx i'm not bitter about the influx of people if they'll leave their cars at home that would be great <laughs> just bring your person but not your car bike on in yes yeah <laughs> please <laughs> um no i really i i like the uh vibrancy of everybody moving in and people are finally you know seeing that nashville is you know it's not boots and cowboy hats definitely not broadway it's so much more than that and it always has been but now people are just getting it and they're I mean, seeing music it. row's been there there's more music there's more people in the music industry in nashville than new york and la combined yeah so it's always been there it's, it's just kind of people are figuring it out yes and it's been so country centric for so long not that i i love country music but i i've never really like i've always identified with different genres of music more than country that's probably my rebellion was identifying more with things that weren't country um but it's just so like growing up like an indie kid or whatever like that's so such a beautiful thing for me to watch like these people move to nashville for indie rock are you kidding me like (laughs) that's nuts like that's stuff of dreams yeah um so yeah it's really cool uh seeing everybody move to town and you know, giving us some. We've known we have validity. Now everybody else knows. Now we have you have validity. more flights. We more do people. have more. Now you're not like. You know what? I can leave for L. A. Every hour. Now. Yeah, it's great. Now that part, yeah, flights are getting cheaper. <laughs> I think they were expensive for a minute, and now they're getting cheaper. I always notice that where I'm like, "There's more flights here." That's yeah, fun. yeah, that's good. That's yeah, nice travel. That's my bottom that's line. Yeah. Uh, I love started songwriting at 11. Was there the first yeah. instrument that you gravitated to? Well, I did not write with an instrument until I was 19. Oh, wow. So it was just your voice. Yeah. I, not so my, just, it was your voice. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, this is going well. Yeah. Wow. I love this. Um, the, no, I, my dad was a guitar player, still is a guitar player. And, um, he's a really good one. Um, so he i was always really frustrated because i would hear things in my i mean you know i was little and i would sit down at the piano and try to like play things out of my head or whatever and i couldn't do it because i would hear things that i couldn't play and um not to like toot my own horn or whatever but i had a pretty sophisticated melodic knowledge at the age of 11 so <laughs> you had like a i was of records too uh, yeah so i was hearing all of this stuff that i couldn't do i couldn't i could hear it and i could hear the combinations of notes but i couldn't put it in my hands i couldn't make it happen so i finally i i'm a very um independent person um and i hate asking for help so finally I was like, Daddy, I need your help. And I don't really know what to do about it. <laughs> and um, so we started this process of it was kind of live sampling um, with my dad. I would write the melodies in my head, the vocal melodies and the guitar melodies. And then I would hear the combinations of notes that I wanted. And so I would just sing them to him and he would make the chords and he'd play one and I'd say nope and then I'd play another one nope 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 that one 
and um until he got what i was hearing and um it was a really painstaking process and not not really like efficient at all (laughs) um but it worked it worked for a while um it made me able to write what was in my head and um get it out there and um then i started i moved out of my parents house when i was 17 and i was like oh i don't have my dad anymore (laughs) i gotta do something about this Mm -hmm. i can't go to my my basement anymore and live sample my dad (laughs) um so i you know i guess i started like dabbling or whatever at that point um but i kind of taken a break to focus on school so i guess when i quit school and decided I wanted to do music full time. That was when I was like, all right, I'm playing the damn guitar. Fine. Fine, Nashville. I'll do the thing. <laughs> so I started playing then. Cool. Do you remember your first favorite song? Rock Bottom, Winona Judd. That's a good one. Yep. That was, it, it's between that and Can Make You Love Me, Bonnie Raitt. Those were my first two. I can see you in your bedroom listening to those and just looking at your stereo being like, yes, this, yes. I worshiped the Bonnie Raitt tapes. (laughs) I like, I, we had the tape in the car and I, we had like three copies. We have one for my room, one for the car and then an extra, you know, cause you gotta, uh, (laughs) but I like, she, I was always really drawn to female artists because I guess, you know, it was more identifiable for me. And um, I liked a lot of male artists, too. But r- the ones that I really gravitated toward were female artists. Aside <laughs> aside from my first love, which I'm going to... Everyone who might listen to this podcast, you're privy to this information of my most embarrassing first love in music. That was my next question. Who is uh, Barry Manilow. Really? Had the box set, had the poster. Oh yeah. How how'd that go over in school? Uh, secrecy. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know it was embarrassing. I was like six years old, and I loved. I I like set up a camcorder, made a music video for Copacabana, dude. Where is it? Where's that? Oh, burnt. Oh really? In flames. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to show you something. No, I'm just kidding. Oh yeah! Oh, wow! I that's so some shit my mom would do. That honestly, like, made my my mom's in New York right now, and that's like absolutely the shit she would pull. Oh, <laughs> like makes me get Barry Manilow. Yeah. Still, how about still? What if you? What if? What if it came on now? I'd sing along, but I yeah. As my dad got me like part of my birthday present he got me a bunch of vinyl and in that vinyl were 10 barry manilow records (laughs) um so i have a plethora of his catalog to this day but um i'm i'm not an active fan barry if you're (laughs) if you're listening i love you but uh i'm not an active listener anymore but six-year-old me was obsessed I like that. I like you kind of talked about that. You did a title playlist, which I love. Yes. Yes. And I loved how it was old and new. Yeah. And I think even just now hearing, you know, if it was Ryan Adams, Paul Simon, Jim James, Shania Twain, Mm -hmm. like what connects with you first when you start to fall in love with the song? The song. Um, Like the structure? Like the, it's lyrically, I I guess lyrics connect with me first. I, I think that lyrics are 
but see, I say that, and I just think there are so many components that can make a song great. And I think if a song draws you in, whether that be from lyrics or melody or content of like emotional content, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, like if it makes you feel and it pulls you in, then that's a great song. Um, lyrically, I think that's that's my main um, selling point is just a really good, solid lyric. Um, but I mean, you know, there are a plethora of Paul of Paul McCartney songs that are about nothing and the melodies are so beautiful that you could not care hooks, less let them in again. that's one of my favorite songs of all time it's about knocking on the door that's literally almost all he says somebody knocking at the door and I like weep when I <laughs> I don't actually weep to that song but it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs of all time and so it really like I think there are a lot of things that can make a great song I think too, like having that varied understanding of the history and new, mm-hmm. I think brings in uh, your songs. I felt like that EP, it feels like it's both. Like I can oh, hear the you. old and I can hear the new thank in you. those. Was Thanks. that conscious or? Um, no. Um, my writing is uh, not, I mean, it's obviously a conscious act. I have to be awake in order to do it, but I'd. Don't, there's not a whole lot of forethought that goes into it or planning or um, it just kind of if it happens it happens um, so yeah it wasn't a conscious effort but I mean all my influences are gonna See come there. out some yeah and when you listen to you know like I listen to the Andrews sisters and then I'll listen to Kendrick Lamar right after it so like it's there's a wide range of things for my subconscious to pull from. <laughs> yeah. So um, it doesn't surprise me that that comes through. It's a, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And then I think to the, the song itself, like putting together it, like was there, were there moments that you, is it, is it a guitar hook or is it a lyric line? Like what are some of the things that start off a song for you? Um, most of the time <laughs> I, it all happens at once for me in melody, chords, lyrics. Um, it's all a package deal. Um, so usually, I mean, the way I put it usually is I write until I'm not frustrated anymore. So I like, I don't really, I shouldn't say I don't write when I'm inspired. I write when I'm inspired, but I also like, one of my growing up my mom like one of my the things my mom would say would be like you're being horrible you need to write like if it gets bottled up in there like i become a crazy person so like i i think mainly it's just getting my brain is like going a thousand miles a minute all the time and so i think mainly it's just like getting that out and i don't really know how that happens <laughs> I don't, I mean, I couldn't really tell you. I know that I'm sitting on my couch and that I feel like shit and then I don't feel like shit when I'm done. So it's like. It's a release. But yeah, it is. It's definite. I've never journaled. I've never, um, you know, done a whole lot of like self-help stuff. I mean, I have now as an adult, but I, that's always been my, you know, I would shut myself up in my room and I'd write. I'd read and then I'd write and I'd read and then I'd write. And that's the way I've dealt with things. It's the way I've celebrated, cried, you know, 
Is there a Jared? song that you wrote, a previous song that you finished and said, this, I'm getting this. This is taking me to the next level or I'm, I'm starting to really get this. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, I am my worst critic. I don't, I'm never fully pleased with anything that I do. I will see the flaws and pick apart the flaws <laughs> first before anything else. I might see like one or two good things, like one line. I'm like, Meh, you know, that was, that was a pretty good line. I'm sorry. But most of the time, all I can see are is what I can do better or what I could have done better. Um, so no. <laughs> Short answer to that, no. <laughs> uh, you know, as you start this journey, you know, with music, obviously, you know, with on, you know, putting this out this EP, like a little bit more promotion, or more people involved. What guidance were you kind of were you given from your parents or friends or was there anybody that was there anything that stuck out? Um, well, I think the main, I mean, the advice is ever flowing from my family, ever flowing. That's what I meant. Like my parents would be like, don't get into the stranger's van. Like that was, that would be their advice. Yeah. Yeah. Yours (laughs) is very specific to music. So it'd probably be a different like. Yeah. I mean, I I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. I couldn't even, but I do know my dad was my producer, um, my whole life. And I remember about like, I was probably like 17, 16, you know, going through the rebellion phase where I was like, we were in the car and I was like, you're not going to be my producer forever, you know, like I'm going to grow up. And he looked at me and he said, the only person I would trust to take over would be Dave Cobb. And I, my dad produced my last EP and Dave produced the one I just put out. And um, so I think really... It hasn't, I mean, the advice is ever flowing from my parents, but really it's been um, protection and example that has really helped me. Um, you know, they've they've really, the advice they've given has always been very um, protection oriented and, you know, they know their shit. They've been there. They've, they, my dad's, being a guitar player is the only job he's ever had, literally. That's amazing. He never mowed lawns. He never worked in the food industry. I don't know how he did it. I do know how he did it. He worked his ass off. But um, I, I think mainly, you know, being, I think really what they trained me to be before being a, a good artist is to be a good person. And, you know, one of those things is authenticity. Never do anything that's not you. And, um, you know, morals and ethics keeping that in mind and never letting it waver but really that's like that's the only thing you need to know in the music business too i mean you need to know it in in life but in the music business like if you wouldn't do that without anyone telling you to do it don't fucking do it (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. why would you do that and that's something like at this label no one's told me to do anything that has felt untrue or you know non-authentic and yeah, I think that's mainly that's that's the best stuff that they've told me as an adult, you know. And then working with Dave Cobb, what what did what did he bring that you needed to hear or you needed to feel? You said you were your hardest, you know, critic. Like, yeah. What, what did he bring that 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 helped? Validity, I think. Um, for I mean, he brought a lot of things <laughs> to the table that were very beneficial to me. But um, he 
you know, I've been a huge fan of his for a long time and the artists that he's produced. And for him to say, you know, this is good, this is good, this is good, and you're good. And for me to think all of that past stuff is good, too. I'm like, oh, if he thinks all these people are great and he thinks I'm great, maybe I'm good. <laughs> you know, like so maybe I'm doing this for a reason. And um, yeah, I mean, it was very... I mean, as far as the like the process, he's just so very creative and he just knows he just knows what the song needs. And, you know, I never felt steamrolled in the process or like my voice wasn't heard. But the way he does it is like he says, we need this, this, this and this. And you're like, yeah, we do. You're totally right. (laughs) Like, why did of course we do. And. So really, it was just like he brought validity and decisiveness and direction. I like that. And then touring with Brandy Carlisle, you know, yeah. did some stuff with Willie and Brent now. Mm-hmm. What are you getting out of that? And what are things that you, what's sticking? Because those are different experiences. Those are yeah. different fans. Those are different Absolutely. ways to present yourself. Yeah, I think something that I mean, there have been multiple things that have stuck with me with each artist, but something with Willie that really stuck with me was his um, loyalty to his crew. He said the same merch guys for 25 years. Um, Longer than that. They've been with him since 77. That's a long time. Um, And, you know, loyalty to his band. Um, I think with Brandy, um, her fans, the way she is with her fans has really stuck with me. She is absolutely, I mean, she is a master at doing this for her fans and truly, authentically putting it out there for the people. She is a voice for her fans and she does it so well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, watching her with her fans before and after the shows, it's just she is so invested in them and they are so invested in her and it's beautiful to watch. Um, with Brent, authenticity across the board has been so cool for me to watch. He changes for nothing. He is himself. And if you don't like it, get out, you know, it's like it's, but not get out. Cause he's the kindest man ever. You know, it's like, it's, He's just, he will forever and always be himself and he's unshakable in that. And that's been really, really, really cool to watch. That's great. Yeah. So some fun ones. Oh, yeah. Was there a recent song you discovered and had to share immediately with your friends? Yes. Um, There's this song, one of my friends, my guitar player, Hank, he showed it to me. Um, I hadn't really, I have now, but at the time, a couple months or weeks ago, I hadn't really listened to Noah Gunderson that much, but I knew who he was. But um, he apparently has this band called Young in the City, and they have this song called Annie that just, like, floored me. It floored me. It's a very... It's a great song. Cool. Yeah. Have you heard one of your songs in public? In Yes, I have. Um, it was radio streaming, um, in a, in Accounts. a, there's, yeah, there's compression. Yeah. Uh, but in, it was radio streaming in a coffee shop. They're playing a station in a coffee shop. And did you look around to see if anybody was tapping their foot? Uh, no, I call my mom. 
I did. I called my mom and um yeah, I called my mom when that happened. I called my mom when the lady knew all the words to my songs at a show not too long ago. That's, like every word. That's worth a that's worth a call. Yeah. I was like, damn, she listened. She cared. She gave a shit. It's crazy. It's nuts. People give a shit. The people give a shit. It's nuts. Yeah. What is a song, no matter how many times you've heard it, you will stop anything you're doing just to hear it again? So mm. you can hear it again. Not just. So you can hear it again. Oh, that's so hard. Um, Any Paul Simon song ever? Paul Simon? Yeah, but also, you know... Yeah, I'll just say the Paul Simon catalog in its entirety. It's a good answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there uh, one song or songs that give you goosebumps? I have a whole playlist. Um, Called Goosebumps? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, that I could share with you. Um, but I, you know, anything with a major seven. Uh, my band makes fun of me for that all the time. What do like, they make fun of oh, you for? This. Any song with a major seven in it, they're really? like, I love it, and I don't know why, but they're like, oh, wonder this song is a major seven. Bet Savannah loves it, but no, uh, that's a joke. I'm a big fan of six eight time. So if any time it was six eight, I would always they'd be like, I bet Tom likes it. Same thing. Wow. I have to use a metronome because you play four, in six eight without because I'll play in six eight when I, have I to write do the same thing every damn why why time. is that? I think it's lilty. For me, it's lilty, like, one, two, three, four, yeah. five. Because I never hear it in one, two, three, one, two, three. It's nope. always one, two, three, four, five, six. And I think it fits my voice better because it's lilty and my words flow like that. And I've always thought that it lends itself well to more poetic lyricism. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, 4-4, four, four, you're great too. But... um. <laughs> I, I six eight has always been my like go to. I was in a writing this EP, like all the songs that I, I was in the hugest six eight rut. Man, I could not get out. My dad was the one that told me he was like, put a metronome on four four because this has got to end. I like <laughs> how six eight has this like. It's like, I, it felt so natural to just do that. Yes. Every time I had a song, the band would be like, don't tell me, 6-8. Yep. Yep. 6-8 and Sad, name of my next band. <laughs> but really, that's all I am, is 6-8 <laughs> and Sad. Not 6-8, I'm 5-2. <laughs> you can't see me, so. But, um, yeah, I I love 6-8. Love it. Oh, fantastic. I found, I found myself <laughs> made in 6-8. Um, any dreams in your head? That you've loved to live out, like anything that you think about. Mm. I mean, it's been great to have the musical upbringing, having music in your house, yeah. having that support. But is there one in your head that pops in and out that you'd like to live out? Um, okay, I'm gonna go back to another question that leads into this question. Okay. I think my main chill chill bump song would be Harvest Moon, Neil Young, and I think that. Um, I just recently acquired a a Gretsch and I think my like dream would be to play with Neil Young and have a little Gretsch duo. 
<laughs> say it louder and no. it'll happen. Yeah, say it yeah. again. No, I really, I would love to sing say it with again. Neil Young. I would love to again, sing Savannah. with Neil Young while we're holding our matching Gretches because he plays <laughs> a Wap Falcon too sometimes. Sometimes he plays a country gentleman. Hell, I don't care. It's He could play. <laughs> so Neil Young. He can play whatever he wants. But yeah, I would love to share the stage with Neil Young or meet him in general or maybe just see him in a crowd. I don't know. Maybe I would vomit if I had to talk to him, so it might be better that way. Who knows? But, <laughs> um, yeah, Neil Young is a big one for me. That would definitely be a um, a dream scenario. Cool. Sure. That's it? Yeah. That's all? Yeah. Wow. Anything else? Anything else you want to say? Dude. If, I mean, Did you have fun? Yeah. Great. If you let me talk, I'll talk for days, dude. I can talk for as long as you need me to talk. Yeah. A big thanks to Savannah Conley for coming on What Did I Say? Visit savannahconley.com for more information. That's S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H-C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. Our theme music is by Max Frost. Be sure and catch up on all the Atlantic Records podcasts at AtlanticPodcasts.com. Thank you for listening.